The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. want to get into the word this morning and I'm aware that we have our children with us so I want to move rather quickly if you don't mind because you know we don't want this place burnt to the ground and and I, I love having our kids in service with us it's a big deal to me I think that it's uh, I think it's wise I think our children ought to see us worship I think they ought to observe us in the word I think that's great I think it would be a real shame for our kids not to see us uh, seek after God and have that example set before them so Glad they're in the service with us. Sometimes we do things that are more geared toward the kids. Sometimes we just have service as usual. Either way, it's a, it's a win for us. So uh, kids, if you're able to pay attention, I love that because the word of God is for you. Everyone else, we're going to have a service here that I'm really trusting God to do something great. Now, some of these things might be a little repetitive to some of us, but this is a really, really important thing to me. You're probably going to hear bits and pieces of what we're going to talk about here at a level that would be quarterly in the church. I think it's that big of a deal. I mean, Paul writes about examining ourselves, which means there needs to be inspections on occasion so that we don't just put in all the labor and all the time and all the effort and be a few degrees off, and when we get to where we're going, we find out that we're miles away from where God was sending us. So I want to get into the Word this morning and trust God to do some things in each one of us. If you're taking notes, you can write these things down. Here's a few things that we're going to find in the Word this morning. One, we're going to find the key to fruitfulness. The key to fruitfulness. I love hearing that report like, like uh, Dr. Ganesh gave concerning the, the trip there. That doors were closed. They were resisted. They were, they were even you know, slandered before they were ever given the opportunity to open. They were cursed. That'll never happen. That'll never happen. I've heard that a lot. And I'm sure you have too. But then something happens. And all of a sudden, what was declared unfruitful becomes fruitful. We're going to find the key to fruitfulness so that we can make sure we operate in the key to fruitfulness. Even when people tell us it can't be done, if we know that God's called us to do it, we need to find out how we need to live our life in order to see that it's done. We'll find the key to fruitfulness. Another thing that we're going to find is why you need to see what God sees. Why it's important to see what God sees. I mean, you'll notice Jesus in his ministry throughout the New Testament is what he's saying is being recorded for us. It's recorded for us as an example. He's saying things like, hey, I, I don't do what I want to do. I do what God shows me to do. I do what I see my father doing. Okay? Well, it's important for us to see things the way God sees them. We're going to find out a very important reason why that's the case uh, in the word today. And then we're going to find out what glorifies God. What glorifies God? I love coming together in a corporate worship setting and, and worshiping together. I think that's an amazing thing. I think that, that it's a, a very godly thing. There's all kinds of reasons why we need to do that. But we're going to find out what glorifies God, and we're going to see to it that that becomes a part of our life so that we can bring Him glory in our living. So let's get in the Scripture. I told you we're going to find out the key to fruitfulness. I'd like for you to turn to the book of John, chapter 15. I want to specifically look at verse 5. John 15, verse 5. Now, how many of you see the benefit of note-taking? Uh, some hands are going up. You know, I've heard more people refer to revisiting their notes. They'll call me and they'll talk about something, 
And, and I'm a little bit disappointed sometimes because they don't say, you know, when you were preaching. I'm like, hey, now. But they'll say, you know, I was going through my notes and this really stood. They will. And, and listen, the Holy Spirit loves to speak to you. He loves to speak to you. He loves to get you into the word and reveal those things to you. Let them just fly off the page straight into your heart. So if you're able to write some things down, I encourage that. John chapter 15, I want to specifically look at verse 5, but I want to encourage you to read John 15. John 15 is an amazing chapter of Scripture. It it contains so much depth that we could apply to our lives and increase our understanding of the whole point of being a Christian. Jesus is talking. He's revealing wonderful things. So we're going to emphasize verse 5 here for the purpose of coming into the key to fruitfulness. John 15 opens with Jesus saying, I'm the vine and you're the branches. He's talking to us about this concept. Uh, He's going to, to referring to plants. Now, vines and branches, we don't live in the jungle anywhere, so we're not used to vines. But just think of roots. I mean, if you separate a branch from its root system, it doesn't do anything good. It doesn't live. It doesn't produce. It dies. And Jesus is identifying there's these parts, these pieces. And he's identifying that he is that source of nutrition and life. And he says this in verse 5. In verse 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me or is connected to me, and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Can I get nothing from you? I mean, nothing, just nothing. That word, you even say it, and it feels like there's a vacuum in the room, right? Nothing. It's void. So if we're not plugged into Jesus, we can't even get it right on occasion by accident. I mean, nothing is absolute. The key to fruitfulness is being plugged into Jesus. I mean, I want to do everything in the name of Jesus. I want to do it because I know God is leading me and guiding me into those things. And I know that might sound like a bit of a stretch, but I think that's a noble thing to shoot for. I want to come to this church because I know God's brought me here. Not because it's close or, you know, my friend goes there. I want to be where I'm led to be, where God's called me to put down my roots, where there's going to be the nourishment and the, the, the provision of Jesus Christ flowing through my life to make me fruitful. It's important for us to be connected to Jesus in everything that we do. I want to be connected to Jesus in my marriage. There's all kinds of opportunity, all kinds of decisions that I could make. If I were to make those decisions, I'd have to disconnect from Jesus because it's not Him. But if we can stay connected to Jesus, we can stay plugged into heavenly resources, the abundant life that God made available through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, the authority of the name of Jesus. All of those things require us to be tethered to that vine. And when we want to go beyond where that vine would allow us to go, we're faced with a decision. Do I go where I'm connected or do I disconnect? To disconnect is to eliminate all possibility of fruitfulness immediately. It's bad news for those who have such a passion and a desire and a call to be productive. The key to fruitfulness is staying plugged in to Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you this. I like saying it this way because I think it's important. I'd like to talk to you about the most important message you'll ever hear in your life. 
the most important message ever preached. The most important message that Jesus ever preached. Now, you, you may have an argument or disagree, but let's just look at the Word and listen to what Jesus has to say. You'll find it if you'll turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. And Mark chapter 4, we're going to start reading in verse 1. We'll read a, a passage, then we're going to, to skip to some other parts of the passage to get a, a complete view. But in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is speaking. And he's talking about fruitfulness. He's talking about being productive. Not being a consumer, but being a producer. And you know, that's really exciting to me when we show the picture of the closing of that property because I believe that is the destiny for this congregation. To be a producer and not a consumer. We're called to be fruitful. And God loves to make everything necessary happen to make us as fruitful as we can possibly be. So Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I want to begin in verse 1. Now it says, He, the He there is Jesus. So Jesus began to teach again by the sea. And such a very loud, large excuse me, crowd gathered to Him that He got into a boat and pushed it out to the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And He was teaching them many things in parables. And He was saying to them in His teaching, Now I'm going to stop. I think it's important for us to picture something here. Not just to picture something, but to receive from things. They're not really in between the lines. They're, they're within the lines themselves, but they're just small little things. Sometimes little things can, can speak volumes. Just like we talked about those trips beginning with a small conviction. You know, those trips to South America. You know, I was born there, and there's a burden in my heart to see God pour out a spirit and move there. To get greater detail from Dr. Ganesh, you'd hear him say things like, I want to see suicide stop. They have an, a, a horribly high suicide rate. So there's these little burdens and convictions that have moved him to step out and do something. You want to know something that's really cool about what we've just read here in Mark chapter 4? I like this. I like this a whole lot. That right there in the beginning, it, it says, Jesus began to preach. So what does that mean if you began to preach? You started preaching. It means you weren't doing it before, and then you began to do it. You started to do it. You weren't doing it, now you are doing it. You began to preach. And I love that it says this. He began to preach, and then a large crowd gathered. You know, sometimes I think we wait for God to bring us a crowd, and then we'll deliver our message. You know, Father, bring me the crowd, and I'll stand on the platform and preach your word. But I love that he's probably walking with the disciples, and they're walking along the beach, you know, dragging their feet, making lines in the sand. Who knows what they're doing? And Jesus is walking, and they're maybe chatting, and he's just like, hey, this is the spot right here. And he begins, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he goes into the words that he's speaking, and people that are passing by stop and are drawn in. I love the beginning of that, that he began to preach, and then the crowd came. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And the crowd got so big that he couldn't even stand. They're backing him into the sea. They're literally running him into the water because they're pressing in to hear him. Now, he didn't have a microphone like I've got. So that means they've got to be pretty deep. If you could be 100 people back, it'd be like, man, I can't hear him. I can't hear him. 
So you push in and you push in. And before you know it, Jesus' feet are wet because they're pushing him in the water. And I think Jesus is a really patient guy, right? So I don't picture him being like, guys, I'm getting wet. I mean, I picture him just backing into the water and continuing to speak until it's basically going to choke him out. Like, oh, the kingdom of the heaven is like a seed. <laughs> and so finally someone's like, get this man a boat, please. And they get him a boat and they put him in the boat and he stands and he begins to deliver the word. And he says this, and this is what I want us to pay attention to. He says, listen to this. Now, I kind of like that too. Right? It's kind of like, listen, I've been preaching all of this. The crowd has gathered. Now, everybody pay attention. Listen to this. Behold, the sower went to sow. Now, we don't really say sow a whole lot. It means planting seeds. So the sower went to sow, and as he was sowing, some fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. And then other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, but because it had no depth, uh, after the sun came out, it got scorched. It had no root, and it withered away. Then other seed fell among thorns. The thorns came up, and they choked it, and it yielded no crop. And then other seed fell into good soil. And as it grew up, it increased and it yielded a crop that produced 30, 60, and even a hundredfold. And then it says that as he was saying this, he said, let him who has ears to hear, hear this. And then he basically dismissed the service. That was his message. The crowd had gathered, he was preaching, he said, listen, and he just said everything that we just read there. And then he's like, God bless you, goodbye. That was his message. Trusting that the Spirit of God can awaken things inside of us. That he's delivering something that is absolutely true. And that when God reveals this to us, it has the potential to change our lives. When men reveal this to us, it has the potential to increase our intelligence. But when the Spirit of God makes these things come to life in us, when we see that and realize, wow, the conditions where the Word of God is put, the conditions where seed is sown make all the difference in whether or not it's fruitful or not. I need to check out my conditions. That can be a really powerful thing. So you have this amazing church service, right? I would put it down in the books as a pretty good day at Champions Church if I decided to start to preach and then the crowd started getting big and before you know it, they had me pinned against the back wall because there wasn't any room. And so Pastor Jared came and borrowed a sawzall from Bill and he cut out a hole where I could go through there and keep preaching, right? We'd probably go to lunch and be like, that was a pretty good church service. Wow. But service is over now, right? He's done. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. Service is over. And they're walking again. They're moving. They're, they're, they're going to their next destination. They're on the move. And there's people that were in the church service that heard it, and they recognized that it was good, but they didn't know why. Man, what he was saying was awesome because people were really attracted to it. Were you there when that one lady was just weeping? And did you see that one guy? I've never seen someone repent like that. And did you see that one family? And did you see that? And you know, when that got to the point where he was about to drown, and so we put him in the boat, do you remember that? That was awesome. 
But what was service about? What did he preach about? I heard him talk about seeds and rocks. And so finally somebody gets the courage to just go and ask Jesus, Hey, Jesus, listen, great job, by the way. Love the service. I mean, good things are happening at the church. Lots of people showed up. I saw some new families today. That's good. Uh, I think they're really going to get plugged in. Um, that being said, we don't have a clue what you were talking about. <laughs> so, you know, we were wondering, me, and it's not really me. I'm really coming because the guys were talking about it. And I, I really think that you could really help the guys out if maybe you were to explain this thing just, you know, a little bit. Again, not me, the guys. Um, but let me know when you do it for the guys because I'd like to be there. And uh, So Jesus begins to speak. And then this is why I say this is the most important message you'll ever hear. Because this is what Jesus says here in Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 4 in verse 13. He says this. He says, and it says, And Jesus said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? Now the word understand there is used twice. But it's not the same word in the Greek where it's written down. It's two different words. One means to known or know, and the other means come to know. So if we translate it like that, here's what Jesus basically said. Do you not know what I said? How are you going to come to know anything I say? If you don't know what I just said about the seed being sown about the hard dirt, about the rocky dirt, about the weed-filled dirt, and about the good soil. If you don't know what I just said about that, how are you going to come to know any of the messages I preach, any of the words that God speaks to you? So I think that makes it probably the most important message Jesus would ever preach. How many of you remember Charlie Brown? Yes. That's the most feedback I've had this entire service. Somebody just gave a, like a Holy Ghost shout for Charlie Brown. I can't believe there wasn't an amen or a glory. You remember his teacher though, right? Listen, here's basically what Jesus is saying. Guys, if you don't come to know what I just told you, everything that I speak to you is going to be... I mean, that's kind of funny, isn't it? But that's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, we need to catch this one, guys. You've got to understand this one. This one's really important. That's why I want to talk about it a lot. I want to talk about it as a church often. Because I want us to be a people that understand what God's saying. I, I want us to hear his message and receive his word and it not just be white noise, but to mean something and to have an effect and an impact. So after Jesus reveals how important this is, he, he goes on to explain it. He says, hey, listen, guys, if you don't come to know this, it's, you're not going to come to know any of the rest. So let me explain this to you. And he breaks it down. He starts breaking it down in verse 14. He says, the sower sows the word, the word, the scripture. And these are the ones that are beside the road where the word is sown. <clears throat> so this is the hard ground. If it's on the road, if it's beside the road, it's not in the field. So this ground has never been prepared to receive anything. That's the difference between the road and the field. I used to be a farmer. You plow in the field, you stay off the road. 
And the difference between the, ro- <clears throat> the dirt that makes the road and the dirt that makes the field is its preparation. The dirt that makes the road is packed and hard. The dirt that makes the field has been opened up. It's been split and made soft to receive. So Jesus is saying, hey, there's those ones that are beside the road. Where it's hard, where the the seed falls, but it doesn't go in. It just stays on the surface. And so immediately, Jesus says immediately three or four times as he's talking about these things. Immediately, Satan comes and steals it away. And I've seen that happen. I've sat with men and women and, and watched them during church services where I know they're hearing everything they need to hear, but it didn't go in. It just sat on the surface until it was snatched away. And then he says, in a similar way. Now, that's interesting to me. Because when he's saying, in a similar way, he's saying, hey, this one's equally as unproductive, right? You might think there's a little progress here. Like, well, he did okay. He's not hard ground. He's just a little rocky. But Jesus is saying it's really not an improvement. It's just a different condition. Okay? Not an improvement, just a different condition. So in a similar way, there's those where the the seed has been sown in the rocky places. They hear the word and they immediately receive it with joy. Now those people are fun to preach to, by the way. I, I like preaching to those kinds of people because you see them and you know like they're hearing it and you can just, I remember, I remember one guy that I used to work with and it was like he swallowed a pogo stick. And he, he, he would just start bouncing. He'd get so happy. And, and, uh, so it's fun to watch, you know. And you see, they receive it with joy. There's none of this like... Well, that might work for you, Pastor. But I've been through things. They're actually happy and excited. They have a hope for something to happen in their lives. I mean, the fact that they're receiving the word means they're not closed off to it. That the ground's not hard, it's open. And that they're doing it with joy means you're not having to force it. This isn't like, I need to meet with you this week to cast Satan out of you. If you could be in my office at 10, that'd be nice. This is somebody who's receiving. They're happy to receive it. They love it. They're like, like, yes, this is exactly what I needed to hear. Praise God. But then because of the rocks, because there's no depth, something happens. Jesus says this, and I think this is really interesting the way he words this. He says, because they have no firm root in themselves. They're only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises, immediately they fall away. I've seen a lot of temporary people in my church life. People that come in and they're excited, we love what God's doing, and then the moment things don't go the way they think they should, they're just gone. They're gone. There's no depth. And I love that it's not there's no depth in the soil, so to speak. The soil is the person. You can't blame it on dirt. It's a matter of the heart. So as Jesus is talking about these things, he's using all of these agricultural terms and examples, but he's talking about people. 
If the heart is hard, the word won't enter in. It sits on the surface and it's stolen away. If the heart has hard places, places that haven't been surrendered to Jesus, then there's no room for there to be any deep root. And as things begin to grow, when they're first met with affliction, they wither up and they pass away. And then he explains the other group. He says in the other ones, they are the, where the seed falls among the thorns. These are those who have heard the word. But when the worries of the world or the deceitfulness of riches or the desire of other things enter, it chokes out the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now this one to me is really interesting. This one to me is one that, that I know in my life, you know, I've been born again. I believe that God has softened my heart. And I've been ministered to and loved on by a lot of people. They've taken some rocky and hard places out. But this one's interesting to me because this one doesn't seem to be exclusive to any point of time in any person's life. I'll explain what I mean by that. Well, I mean, you can just listen to what Jesus said there when he says the weeds come up and they choke out the word and it becomes unfruitful. It becomes unfruitful. It becomes unfruitful. If you just think about those three words, it becomes unfruitful. It's revealing. What does something have to have been in order to become unfruitful? It had to have at one time been fruitful. Which means you can be bumping along doing awesome. And there's tons of fruit. And God's doing great things in your life. Now this happens real easy. Real easy. You get set on a little spiritual autopilot. I'm fruitful. Things are good. I'm going to kick back and relax. And just kind of let it do its thing. That's a dangerous place to be in. Because what was once fruitful, according to this passage, it can become unfruitful. I've got a garden that this year has taken a real beating. 105 degree temperatures are hard on your omatoes. But you know, this garden, I do prep work. And where I live, it is, the soil is just not, it's not hospitable at all. And so I use raised beds and, and prepared soil and I mix it with the things that it needs and try to get the things that it doesn't need out and then plant the plants in carefully and tend them. And they grow. And what's funny is then I get busy. I get busy. And before I know it, you know, the sun's telling me, well, you better go water them or they're going to die. And so you run out there and you just throw some water on them real quick and you get back to the things because you're busy. you got things to do. And the other day I thought, you know, I'm going to go back there and I'm going to put in some work. I'm going to go back there and check on the garden. And I opened up the gate to the garden and I walked to look at it. And I swear, I think I heard this. It had become a jungle. It was crazy. I pulled a weed. I asked my wife, hey, could I take that and use it as a prop? And she said, no, because people would be sneezing and hacking and coughing. It was my height. It was my height. I kid you not. It had a trunk. I actually considered pulling out a chainsaw to take it down. 
And I thought, well, you know, I'll bet I can get it, you know. And so I did one of these. <laughs> Nobody saw that, right? <laughs> and when it actually gave, I fell back on my haunches. It hurt. But I got it. Here's the thing about that. You know, there's a lot of things I planted in that garden, but I didn't plant a single weed. I didn't put any of those in there. None of those were part of the plan. They're the result of neglect. They're the result of carelessness. They're the result of casualness. They're the result of laziness. I didn't plant them there, but they got there. On their own. And here's the thing about weeds. They're different from rocks, right? Like Jesus is talking about the rocks and it affects depth because rocks will hinder. Rocks will hinder. Those are things that hinder your growing in the kingdom of God. Bitterness and offense and hatred. All of those things are the things that can be stony, rock-hard places in our heart that can keep us from advancing in the kingdom of God. Rocks will hinder. Weeds don't hinder, they compete. Weeds compete. That weed got six foot tall by competing with the other plants for all the water and all the nutrients. Everything that was meant to make my tomatoes awesome was sucked up by this weed that doesn't feed me at all. If we become careless or lazy, if we stop tending to the garden of our life, competition comes in and will take away all the resources that are meant to make us fruitful. And then Jesus talks about a fourth people group. He said, and then there's those where the soil is good. The seed falls on good soil. They hear the word. They accept it. Will you say accept it? That's an important thing. I think it's funny. I mean, I, I got to just be honest with you. I didn't look up the words to this, but I'm going to now. Everyone else has been receiving it up until this point, and then there's accepting it. I think there's something there. Maybe next time, next quarter, when we talk about this again, we'll have something there. But they accept it, and then they produce. They become fruitful. Good things are happening. So basically, Jesus is dividing all of the world's population into four people groups. And at any given moment in our lives, we fall into one of those four groups. Either people whose hearts are completely hardened and the Word of God can't enter in. It just sits on the surface. Now, in order to respond to this, if this is the case, we need to be born again. There needs to be an exchange. New birth is described in the book of Ezekiel. I'll give you a passage of Scripture. Look it up in your own time. Ezekiel 36. You can read verses 26. Go all the way through 30. 26 through 30. Because the Word is talking about fruitfulness and productivity. It's talking about a cancellation of famine and drought and lack. And the introduction of abundance. And all of these things are the result of God's promise. And His promise reads like this. I'll give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit within you. And I'll remove the heart that's hard. And I'll give you a heart that's soft. He's getting rid of the hard ground. 
And he's introducing a ground that's opened up to receive, to receive his word, to receive his counsel, to receive the scripture. If we find that we're in a place where our heart is hardened, where we know what God's saying, but we don't want any part of it, there's a need for our heart to be softened. And then there's that point where there's the rocky places. Those rocky places where there's no depth. Where we can get excited about the Word of God and jump around and shout and yes and amen. But the moment we go out these doors and we're faced with the problems that exist in life, there's no depth. Just a withering away of everything that was once exciting. And remember when Jesus talked about that group of people, He said there was no depth in themselves. I told you we're going to find out why it's important to see what God sees, right? I'd like for you to see something in the Scripture. We're going to find out why it's important to see what God sees. If you're taking notes, write it down and then turn there if you would. Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verse 33. Now you can read the story because it's entertaining reading. It's actual history. It's not fiction. It's real. People are going to examine the promises of God and bring back a report. And the report comes back. It's Numbers 13, 33. The report comes back. And the report is that the land is amazing. God's promises are great. But with that report comes the following bit of information. But there's going to be some resistance. There's people there that don't want us to take what God's giving us. They're bigger than us. They're meaner than us. And Numbers 13.33 reveals something. Remember, Jesus is talking about those rocky places in the heart making people that have no depth in themselves. Numbers 13.33, it sounds something like this. Hey, we saw the promises and they're good. But there's giants. There's resistance in the land. And when we saw the resistance, when we saw the trial, when we saw the hardship, when we saw the difficulty, when we saw resistance... We became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we became in the sight of our enemies. Did you hear that last part? We became like bugs in our own sight. And so that's how our enemies saw us. Listen, how you see yourself is how your enemies are going to see you. Do you see yourself as a blood-bought, redeemed believer? That God has purchased with the highest price not to let harassment befall you, not to let uh, uh, just punishment and wrath befall you. But He purchased you so that He could promote you, elevate you, move you from faith to faith and glory to glory, seat you in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. He loves to prosper our lives. And oftentimes we mistake the, pros- the process of His prosperity for affliction. But we have a call and a need, an urgent need, to always keep a firm grip on reality, to see ourselves as the children of God. As long as we can see that, our enemies will have to deal with that fact. They'll have to be well acquainted with that truth. How we see ourselves is how our enemies see us. And I'm sure you've been around people that are negative that beat themselves down, that afflict themselves, that criticize themselves. Love on those people. Help get them out of that because that is a misery that will lead to defeat. 
And it belittles the work of God and the blood of Jesus. God's made our lives incredible. Take this down for your notes if you have any trouble with that. If that is a hard thing for you, write down Revelation chapter 5. And then I want to read verses 9 and 10. This is a verse that reveals the relationship between Jesus and you. Jesus is worthy because he was slain to purchase for God with his own blood men from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and make them to be a, part, or a kingdom of priests unto God, and they will reign upon the earth. That's how you need to see yourself. And that's how your enemies need to see you. I've been purchased, and then I've been made. Now, we read the word made, and oftentimes we think about making our kids clean their room. It's a term that communicates force to get something done. Think of it like fabricated, like if I were to make this table, I would fashion it. So God hasn't purchased you and then said, now you get in there and be a kingdom of priests. I'm going to come in here in five minutes. But he's purchased you, and then he's making you. He's shaping you. He's molding you. And he's doing that by softening the ground and by gently removing the rocks and the hard places and by giving us the wisdom to do the maintenance, to keep the weeds from coming in and choking out all the things that are fruitful. He's fashioning us to reign upon the earth. Then there's the ones with the weeds. Remember the ones with the weeds. Well, they can be fruitful and then fruitfulness is fleeting. My garden looked awesome until I took about six weeks vacation from it. And then I went back and found a six-foot monster looking at me. The weeds. I want to give you a passage of Scripture concerning weeds. I think the distractions, the things that take us away from the will of God, are best summed up as idolatrous. Idolatry. Now, oftentimes we talk about idolatry and we picture the first ten minutes of an Indiana Jones film. But just think of anything that distracts you from God or the will of God. And that could be idolatry. And I'd like for you to write down a passage of Scripture. It's Psalm 115, and I'm only going to paraphrase the first few verses. But to me, it's important for us to catch this. I examine my life often because of this verse. Sometimes there's moments where I have difficulty hearing what God's saying or, or getting on board with the direction that God's moving or accomplishing what I know God's called me to accomplish. I know God's called me to be married to my wife. I know He's called me to be a father to my sons. There's times where that's met with opposition. And I have to stop and examine against what's written in this verse. I know God speaks to His children. Jesus loves to talk to us. Our Heavenly Father loves to talk to us. And He's given the Holy Spirit to relay every single one of those messages to us. There's never a bad connection with heaven. Never a dropped call. But then there's times where I'm not hearing. And so I'll pull from what I've learned from this passage and examine my heart for distractions, for idols, for weeds, basically. 
And here's kind of how the first verses of Psalm 115 go. Idols are the work of man's hands. They're silver and they're gold. That doesn't necessarily mean they're made out of silver and gold. It means they can be silver and gold. It goes on to describe them. They have eyes, but they can't see. And ears, but they can't hear. They have a mouth, but they can't speak. They have hands, but they can't work. And I just did jazz hands, didn't I? They have feet, and they can't move. They have a throat, and they can't make a sound with it. Then it goes on to say this, and this is really where the rubber meets the road. And those who make them will become like them, and all who serve them. Which means I'll have the appearance of being able to hear, and the appearance of being able to see, and the appearance of being able to speak, but I won't have any of those senses. I'll have the appearance of being able to function and to move, but I won't be able to. And when I've seen a a, a crippling paralysis on the call of God in my life, I've had to stop and think, I might need to go weed my garden. Because God has given me everything I need to do this. And the fact that it's not happening is revealing that there's something in my heart that's out of place. What once was fruitful has become unfruitful, and I need to fix that. Pronto. And then you have the fruitful ground, that ground that has been surrendered to God, where there's been depth. And by the way, for depth to be created takes time and fellowship. It takes ministry and vulnerability. I know a lot of people that have carried around hard places in their hearts because they don't trust anyone to touch those places. And it's going to require us to trust one another, to trust God, to believe God that He's bringing healing into our lives and growth. And then the people who are willing to examine our garden and get the weeds out, the distractions out, all those things that compete with the resources that God's blessed us with. When those things happen, we become that fruitful ground, that fruitful soil. The soil that Jesus says accepts the Word of God and then bears fruit. And I told you we're going to find out what glorifies God. I'd like for you to write this passage down as we close. John 15, verse 8. John 15, verse 8, Jesus is speaking and He says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be My disciples. Fruitfulness is an important thing. We focus on loving one another and building community and building fellowship because I believe that's necessary for fruitfulness. But when we become unfruitful, we absolutely become useless. And what's useless isn't kept around. That weed that I pulled out of my garden is sitting in a pile with other weeds, waiting to be burned. And as a courtesy to my neighbors, I've decided to wait till it rains. Because that six-foot monster could be seen from space when I light it up. But fruitfulness is the point. 
It's what God's doing in our lives. He's plugged us into the root that is Jesus, and He's promised us that He'll prune away the things that don't produce so that the things that do produce can produce more. And all of this is what brings Him glory, that we be productive. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at chancechurch.com.